in a study of the book of Genesis in a series entitled Gleanings from the Book of Genesis. We'll continue that now. And if you would turn to Genesis chapter 37 this morning for our Bible study. Genesis chapter 37. In verse 1. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and uh, the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his, brother, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made uh, Joseph a tunic, a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and, and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more as a result. And so he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Uh, there we were, binding sheaves in the field, and then behold, my sheaf of wheat uh, arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed still another dream and took it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to uh, bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in, his mo in mind. And then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And so he said to them, Here I am. And he said uh, to Joseph, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. And so he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now, a certain man found Joseph, and uh, there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? And so he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, Oh, they've departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And so Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, approaching, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams." But Reuben, the oldest of the brothers, he heard it, and he delivered Joseph out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. 
in order that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to uh, his father. And so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic or coat of many colors that was on him, and then they took him and cast him down into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And so they sat around to eat a meal. And then they lifted up their eyes and looked. There was a, a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them to Egypt. And so Joseph said, uh, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And the brothers listened. And then the Midianite traders uh, passed by, and so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and where shall I go? And so they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, dipped the tunic into the blood, and then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him, uh, without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces, and then Jacob tore his clothes, uh, put sackcloth on his waist, and uh, mourned for his son for many days. And all his uh, sons and all his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, for I shall go down to the grave to my son in mourning. And thus his father wept for him, now the Midianites had sold Joseph uh, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage, and, uh, a familiar passage to many of us, and we pray that you would help us to explore it with a, a new heart and a new mind and uh, a new sensitivity to your Holy Spirit for what it speaks to uh, our lives and our walk with you presently and currently. And we pray that you would meet with us. We pray for the truths that we will examine today, that you will do the miracle of your Holy Spirit in helping us to recognize those truths, how important they are to our own Christian lives, and then to allow you to take the truths off of the page and give them a living, daily, working place in our relationship with you and with the world. And we pray for this work of your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. In coming to chapter 37 of the book of Genesis, we begin that section of the book of Genesis that deals almost exclusively now uh, with one of the sons of Jacob by the name of Joseph. And Joseph is one of the most beloved characters uh, in the entire Bible, and, uh, and his life dominates these remaining 
uh, chapters as a result. If you allow me a brief uh, overview of a couple of facts from what we've just read here in order to set the stage for where we want to focus this morning, but to set the stage for future uh, studies as we uh, move to conclude our gleanings in Genesis series in the coming weeks. You notice it in verse 2 that at the time of these events, Joseph uh, was 17 years old. And some of you, myself included, we have to stop and think about uh, long and hard about what it's like, uh, was like to be 17 years old and to put ourselves in Joseph's shoes here. Others of you are uh, right in that age range, and so you're able to put yourself right into the, the picture. He is a teenager, and all of his older brothers are, by this point, full-grown men at, at this time. And he was uh, feeding the flock with his brothers, and so uh, while he was his father's favorite, we see that he wasn't uh, shielded by Jacob from hard work. Uh, he wasn't allowed to be idle or, or uh, 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 kept from uh, carrying his own weight within the family. We're also told in, in verse 2 that he brought a bad report to his father concerning his other brothers. And I have uh, oftentimes heard uh, this particular uh, part of Joseph's life referred to as kind of a negative uh, uh, look at, at Joseph, that somehow he is a rat or he is a snitch or something like that uh, for telling on his brothers. But to interpret it that way is to interpret it completely carnally and uh, not spiritually at all. It's to miss the entire point uh, of why it is uh, that insight is given to us. The attention of this revelation of the Holy Spirit here is certainly not uh, to cause us to condemn uh, Joseph in any way or to consider this some kind of a flaw in his life at all. Uh, it's included in the passage to give us a glimpse into uh, the faulty character of his brothers, the, uh, the, indeed the bad character uh, of his brothers. And so obviously his brothers were doing things that were wrong intending the flock. They weren't being faithful, and that flock was the welfare of the family. Uh, it was the wealth of the family, and so it jeopardized the future uh, of the family for that not to be tended properly, and uh, Joseph rightly informed his father of, uh, of whatever the issue was. And so this isn't a character flaw at all in, in Joseph. It's a mark of integrity. And, uh, but having godly integrity in the context of, of people who lack integrity, which his brothers did, uh, is going to make you very, very uh, unpopular, and, and it did. Joseph was, we're told, his father's favorite, and uh, Jacob uh, uh, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because, we're told, he was the son of his old age. And so, uh, doubtless because Joseph was the firstborn son, of Jacob's uh, beloved wife, Rachel, and we can see also that Joseph possessed a godly character uh, and a work ethic that the other brothers did not have, and that kind of a child is always easier for a parent to love than the, the child that is a handful uh, and in trouble and rebelling uh, all of the time. And so, uh, but even so, 
uh, that kind of open favoritism that Jacob shows Joseph here is uh, very ill-advised for a, a parent uh, to show it so openly. And uh, Joseph, uh, though, bore no responsibility in this at all. Uh, this was, uh, if it was a fault at all, it was a fault of his father. As an expression of his favoritism, uh, Jacob made Joseph a tunic or robe of uh, many colors. And so, whatever this coat was, it clearly distinguished Joseph from uh, all of the other uh, brothers and distinguished him as Jacob's uh, favorite. Well, we don't have to imagine too hard what the effect of that uh, might be upon the other brothers. We're certainly told in verse 4, uh, as a result of this, they hated Joseph and uh, hated him so much that they couldn't uh, speak peaceably to him. Joseph then has a couple of dreams, and those dreams are detailed for us in verses 5 uh, through 11. And uh, both of the dreams communicated uh, the same message. And the message was, uh, it spoke of the ultimate a supremacy of Joseph within the family, and that he will come to the highest position and rule over all of them ultimately, and so it occurs within uh, the biblical account. And so Joseph, he shared his dreams with his family, and uh, you have to laugh at it a little bit. He has uh, such an innocence and a guilelessness, guilelessness, Listeners in, in sharing this, and, and it's the excitement of a young man that has perhaps heard the voice of God in his life for the very first time, and uh, so he speaks these uh, dreams to his family. And the reaction of his family caused the brothers, if they couldn't, uh, ha didn't hate him enough already, they hated him even more, and even his father rebuked him in verse 10. Uh, but he realized uh, there could be something to this, and, uh, and, and, uh, and he held it within his heart that this may be from God, and this may be the truth, uh, and God revealing truth to us. Jacob, as you get into verse 12, was sent, he sent Joseph to check up on his brothers, and they were feeding the flock in the area of Shechem. Uh, Joseph obeyed, and he tracked down his brothers. Uh, he goes from the valley of Hebron, where Jacob is settled now, uh, to Shechem, a distance of about 50 miles. Uh, he doesn't find the brothers there. He is told by uh, a stranger in the area of Shechem that they've gone on to Dothan, uh, and so he travels to the north another 15 miles. And uh, and as he then begins to approach uh, his brothers from a distance, uh, they saw him coming, as we're told in verse 18, uh, from afar off. And of course, that coat of many colors would have made that very, very easy for them to spot him and uh, would have uh, uh, distinguished him unmistakably for uh, who he was. Their reaction, and this, all of this is escalating now in verse 18, their reaction now was that they determined now uh, uh, to kill him, and uh, perhaps as a means of uh, causing his dreams that he had spoken to them uh, to, to uh, determine that they would absolutely not uh, come uh, to pass. 
And you notice in verse 19 that they mocked uh, Joseph among one another out of Joseph's earshot as he continues to approach, and they called him the dreamer, the dreamer is coming. And obviously the dream uh, was a problem for them uh, because this is a real sore spot and, and what they focused on. And while some of the brothers suggested the killing of Joseph at this point to bring an end to his dreams, Reuben, who is the oldest uh, brother, he intercedes for Joseph, and he delivers Joseph really from a, a sure death at the hand of his brothers and by proposing that he simply be left in a pit to die there. No need to kill him, let him die of, of ex exposure and circumstances and dehydration and uh, so we won't be guilty of shedding innocent blood. And his intent was, after everybody left, to come back and then get his brother out of the pit and deliver him safely to his uh, father. And Reuben was successful in convincing the brothers not to kill Joseph. And, and Reuben then leaves, probably something related to the flocks at that particular point in time. So they throw, uh, the remaining brothers throw Joseph into the pit. Uh, they stripped him of his brightly colored coat. Uh, they couldn't wait to do that. It was the first thing that they did, cast him into the pit. And we're given further insight in chapter 42, verse 21, uh, to the emotion of the environment, uh, where uh, the, as they're talking later among themselves, they said, uh, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear, and therefore this distress has come upon us. Joseph is terrified. Joseph is pleading with his brothers uh, for them to spare him, to spare his uh, life. Judah then proposed selling him uh, as a slave to the Ishmaelites who were passing by, and uh, all of the other brothers agreed to it, Joseph was sold for 20 shekels of silver, taken to Egypt. Reuben had uh, played no part in any of this. And after the brothers had left, Reuben comes back to the pit with the intent of, of, uh, of freeing uh, Joseph and, uh, and, uh, does, and now finds him gone. As a part of their cover-up, uh, they uh, dip Joseph's coat of many colors in blood uh, to give the appearance that Jacob had been uh, torn in pieces by uh, wild animals. And they then uh, came home. They showed the bloody coat uh, to their father, asking if they recognized this as belonging uh, to Joseph. This is, uh, this is cruel beyond description. Uh, what they are doing to their father here in this, this circumstance. And they didn't come out and out and out stayed a lie, uh, but they presented things in such a way as to cause their father to come to the only conclusion that, that he could come to and that his uh, favorite son had been torn to pieces uh, by a wild animal. The effect of all of this uh, this deception upon Jacob is given us in verse 33 to 35. He concluded that uh, J Joseph had been torn to pieces by wild animals, and um, it was more than that, because he is it, all at once uh, trying to absorb the, uh, the death of 
this son of uh, this beloved wife who is now uh, deceased. But, but there is a sorrow on top of sorrow because he will also have to deal with the guilt that he was the one that sent Joseph on this errand. And so he's got to be feeling all of the responsibility for it, all of the why didn't I and what if, I mean, what these sons are doing to this father, I, I can't even put uh, into words for how terrible it is. And Jacob mourned the death of his son. No one can console him of his grief. He stated that he will never be consoled of this grief. He will go down into the grave and go to be with Joseph, assuming his death uh, and uh, in, in grief. And uh, again, without a doubt, feeling now uh, responsible on some degree uh, for uh, the, uh, this tragic death that he believes has taken place. Upon uh, reaching Egypt, Joseph was then sold by the Midianites to Potiphar. Verse 36, Potiphar was a uh, prominent and, and high official in the court of Pharaoh in Egypt, and, uh, and that sets the stage for what comes in the coming weeks. Now, what was done uh, to Joseph uh, by his brothers? I mean, when you look at this and you try and put yourself in the father's shoes, in Joseph's shoes, in the brother's shoes, any shoes you want related to this, and you realize this isn't just a famous story within the Bible, though it is that, but it is an event that actually occurred. And, uh, and what was done to Joseph by his brothers is an absolute mess, uh, a mess of, of their cruelty, their hard-heartedness, uh, of, of malice, and of, of wickedness. And I want you to notice the uh, sin that lay at the core, at the heart of these terrible, terrible events as it is revealed to us uh, so plainly in verse 11, and that is the sin of uh, envy, where we are told there uh, once again, and his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter uh, in mind. Someone has said of envy, envy is the central fact of American life. And uh, someone uh, may protest upon uh, hearing a quote like that, and you might say, I don't know if I would go quite that far uh, in, in describing it. But I uh, think most of us r uh, realize that if we were to argue against that proposition, that we would only be arguing uh, against it uh, by degrees, and by very, very small degrees at that. Envy is very prevalent uh, within our culture, but it is, uh, I think, very often, uh, and, and perhaps the most overlooked sin uh, within our culture, and perhaps the most overlooked simply because of its prevalence within, within the culture. But we see it everywhere if we'll stop and, and think about its, its presence. In uh, the advertising that we are uh, bombarded with on a daily basis uh, every day uh, uh, through the use of 
of covetousness and the use of envy. And it, it is at the core and foundation of, of so much advertising. Uh, in interpersonal relationships, we see uh, envy uh, so often uh, being expressed in them. It's so prevalent on social media uh, that it can not only make social media unbearable at times, but it can make social media uh, even uh, unhealthy and even dangerous. And today, uh, envy is brought right out into the open in the most public of forums within our culture, without shame uh, within our culture, uh, as we see some politicians using envy between the classes of people in our country uh, to advance political agendas uh, like socialism. And so it is epidemic within our culture and I would contend uh, like never before uh, in our history. But envy is condemned as a sin from one end of the Bible uh, to the other. And it is condemned as a sin that it, it is uh, manifestly, strongly uh, dangerous and uh, uh, greatly, greatly destructive. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 a sound heart is, uh, is life to the body, but envy is rottenness uh, to the bones. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. Wrath is cruel and anger uh, a torrent, uh, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Uh, jealousy is more dangerous than wrath uh, and anger in a person's life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire this pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Galatians chapter 5, envy is mentioned among the works of the flesh. Five, Galatians 5, 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, uh, uh, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, uh, uh, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, uh, murders, uh, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, uh, instinctively, we know envy uh, is wrong, and we know that it is an embarrassing uh, trait uh, in a human being, and uh, because we dislike it when we see it. We dislike it when we see it in others. We dislike it when we see it uh, in ourselves. 
And so how in the world does such a sin manage to become, uh, uh, to be so universally disliked and, and yet remain so prevalent? And I think the reason is, is because we work so hard to keep it hidden and to keep it just under uh, the surface, at least in our lives. Clearly, neither Jacob the father nor Joseph the son were aware of the envy of the other brothers, or Jacob would have never sent Joseph uh, uh, to find them, and uh, Joseph would have never gone. But the brothers kept this envy in their lives hidden, and envy isn't something that you broadcast. Uh, it is a sin that we keep well hidden because to confess it uh, or uh, to admit it or to be uh, too open about it being seen within our life would make us look small. It would make us look petty and, and deplorable. So we have this funny kind of way of, of trying to manage this sin uh, within, within our lives. Uh, in, in terms of jealousy and, and envy, uh, within our culture, we tend to use both of the terms interchangeably, and, um, and very often they're used interchangeably within the Scriptures, but sometimes uh, there's a degree of difference for how they're used uh, within the Bible. And jealousy generally uh, speaks of desiring what someone else is or what someone else has, uh, whether it's wealth or popularity uh, or position and relationship or achievement and, and uh, desiring that uh, for myself. Envy is uh, typically is jealousy on steroids, and it is uh, referred to as a resentful uh, discontent because it not only desires what somebody else is and what somebody else has, but it resents the fact that the other person is that and has that. And uh, the person that is under the influence of envy will then declare that since they are not that kind of quality of person uh, or they do not have that, then they hope that whatever that is that they see in the other person that they envy will be taken away from them or that somehow they'll be knocked down uh, a notch or two uh, in, in their life. It isn't wrong to want something uh, that we don't have. We take those kind of things to the Lord in prayer all of the time. But envy something more than that. It involves unhealthy comparison and resentment uh, uh, over what they have and that I do not have. And for our purposes here this morning, we'll use the words interchangeably uh, as uh, both of them are to be avoided within our lives. I want you to notice there in verses 1 through 11 the source of their envy concerning uh, Joseph. And it's spelled out for us clearly. You notice, first of all, that they envied Joseph, his relationship uh, with their father. And so clearly this tells us that uh, envy can manifest itself in the area of our 
relationships in life. And that may be a relationship uh, with a, a family member or with a parent or uh, a, a child related to another child related to a parent or, uh, or a, a, a husband envying the, the relationship that another man has with his wife or a, a wife envying and all the way through the realm of, of relationships. And, uh, and again, whether related to family as we have here or involving any relationship that anyone has with anyone else, uh, in dating relationships, in uh, envying uh, that in another person's life, uh, the friends that other people uh, have, uh, the neighbors and relationships that neighbors have with other neighbors that perhaps we don't, or relationships that people have with one another at work and, and other settings, and so forth. So envy represents itself in a, in a, a dominant kind of way uh, relationally, and it's a place that we'll always want to look for envy being present within our lives. They also envied Joseph for his coat, and so here they envy, uh, here is envy manifesting itself in the realm of uh, possessions or in the realm of position, which is what the coat uh, represented. And so we envy people because of the possessions that they have, the material things that they own, or the position uh, that they uh, find themselves in. They also envied Joseph uh, the dreams that he had received from God. And uh, this reveals to us that there's a whole world of envy that occurs within uh, the spiritual or the religious realm uh, within life. And that is certainly true. And here you have God has called Joseph to a position of influence uh, for God. And, uh, and he called him to a position of influence that he did not call the others to. God is absolutely free to make that decision, and we have to be accepting uh, of that. And the brothers were not accepting of, uh, of this. And so the, the envy entering into the spiritual realm. And the reason that we have to be accepting of the fact that God can call whoever he likes to positions of greater influence or greater prominence in his work is because that's usually how it goes in the kingdom of God uh, based upon God's wisdom and his sovereignty. And, uh, but far from thinking those people are better than you or anybody else, Paul gives us some perspective in writing to the church at Corinth. He said, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world uh, in general to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should uh, glory in his presence. Uh, it is in this vein that somebody very wryly uh, observed there is no disappointment so numbing as someone no better than you achieving more. And uh, that happens in life, and that happens in the spiritual realm uh, as well. But it is commonplace 
within the body of Christ, within the spiritual realm, uh, for purposes and reasons that God oftentimes keeps to himself. And of course, envy can involve all kinds of other things. It can involve uh, uh, people's good looks or their attractiveness or their uh, good grades or their natural talent or their athletic ability or their musical ability, their intelligence or the kind of personality uh, that they have. Now, I want you to notice as well uh, what their envy and their, their jealousy drove them to do. In other words, what, what the, uh, their envy and jealousy, uh, the danger that that represented to Joseph, but the danger that envy and jealousy in our own lives represents to others uh, in our lives. Imagine as we uh, sit here and watch this, uh, this account in Genesis chapter 37 before our eyes. Imagine being willing to kill another human being. I've never killed another human being. I don't know what would be involved in it. Uh, to end the life of another human being. And they're willing to do it. And they're not only willing to kill another human being, but they are willing to kill a sibling, to kill a brother. And then they only back off from it uh, and uh, with the idea of uh, then selling this brother uh, into slavery, which is abominable uh, in, in, it, in its own right. And then what they do here in breaking the heart of a father permanently, and in essence, they, they destroy, uh, apart from the grace of God, uh, they destroy two lives, and they do all of it under the influence of envy. And that is the power of envy. And that is what their envy told them to do as a solution uh, to their problem. And that's how irrational and that is how uh, disturbing uh, envy can be and where it can take us. And one of the great and needed purposes of this passage, and it's in, intended to, what it's intended to accomplish within each of our lives, is to drive home the point of how dangerous envy is to each of us within our lives, and that it is profoundly and deeply wicked as a sin within our lives. No matter how heavily represented uh, it is within the culture or practiced within the culture uh, around us. In the New Testament, James captures it with the same sobriety in, in four sentences. In James chapter 3, verse 13, he said, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by a good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, 
demonic. For where envy and evil-seeking, seeking, self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. No decision, as we see in continuing the lessons here of, of how dangerous envy can be in our lives toward others, we see that no decision, no good, good decision can ever be made while under the influence of envy. Every one of these brothers will live to deeply regret the decision that they made here, and they will be tormented by this decision for the rest of their lives. And we will fare no better than them uh, if, if we choose to make decisions under the influence of envy. But anywhere you want to look in the Scriptures, uh, where uh, nobody fares any better than these brothers in, in operating under the influence of envy. Uh, you see King Saul, who destroyed his entire life and his entire legacy because of his envy and his jealousy of David. Uh, the jealousy of Korah and Dathan and Abiram in Numbers chapter 16 where they were envious of the positions that God had give, given to Moses and to Aaron. They led a rebellion, and not only did they end up perishing, but their families and everyone who ended up following them. Even with, it, with Sarah, her mistreatment of Hagar under the influence of, of jealousy is, is a blemish in, in the biblical account related to her life. And to say nothing... Uh, of the envy that was involved in Satan's heart in, in his fall and in his rebellion uh, against God. Uh, envy is a uh, dangerous and a deeply wicked sin. I want you to notice as well the danger that jealousy and envy represents to us if we choose to practice it. Uh, to be a, the danger it is to us if we choose to be a jealous person or an envious person. And one of the first casualties of envy in our lives is peace, because now we'll view everyone in life uh, as the competition, or we will view them as a threat. And because absolutely every person we meet in life is going to be better than us in some way or better at something uh, in some way than we are. If I refuse to accept that fact in life, then I'm going to be doomed uh, to living a life of perpetual uh, envy. Envy robs us of our joy in life because it's impossible to be happy and to be envious at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. And one of the truly great joys in life for a person to experience is to sincerely rejoice in the successes, in the accomplishments, and the blessings of, of other people, and envy completely destroys our ability uh, to do that. Envy destroys thankfulness in our lives because our eyes are always on uh, what we don't have. And because they are always on what we don't have, 
we fail to recognize all of the blessings that are in uh, our own life. Someone has said, envy is the art of counting the other fellow's blessings instead of your own. And, and it's true. And envy certainly caused Joseph's brothers here to lose sight of God's blessings completely. They had so much to be thankful for. They were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are going to be the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. They have been born into a family of wealth and prominence. Jacob, their father, is very wealthy and very prominent. Uh, they, uh, they have born, been born into a situation, materially speaking, uh, that most of the world would uh, ha have longed for. A and yet all they could see are the things that Joseph had that they didn't have. And uh, you would think that uh, the wealthy and the privileged in life would be completely free of envy, but that's not true necessarily. And envy can never be satisfied with material things and, uh, or accomplishments or prestige because envy, if it's present, will always find someone who has a greater position, greater accomplishment, greater things, a bigger boat, a second home, a better second home, uh, a, a, a better art collection or car collection, and on and on it goes. Envy will always stunt our spiritual and our emotional and our intellectual uh, growth. When someone is uh, more accomplished or more mature than us in some area of life, uh, whether uh, natural or, or uh, spiritual, the solution is never to become envious, but to learn from them. Uh, to then make them an example, make them an inspiration in our lives, and, and to use it to spur us on to become like what we uh, see or admire in their life ourselves. But the easy way, the cheap way uh, to handle that kind of thing is to just simply be uh, envious. And so we hide behind our insecurities, we convince ourselves that we are a victim uh, of, of some kind in all of this. And when we do, envy becomes a powerful, self-imposed barrier to self-improvement and personal growth. It is always easier, far easier in the short term, to consider myself to be a victim in life than to actually better myself and determine to become or achieve what I envy or desire in another person's life, or constantly telling myself that the fact that they've gotten more or that they've achieved more can't be because they're actually better than me in some area in life, or that they are actually more talented than I am, or more hardworking, or even more uh, self-disciplined. No, uh, in our victimhood society and culture, it always has to be that there's something wrong with them, and, and it can't be anything wrong with me. And a couple of quotes I think are helpful in this regard. One man wrote, and he said, 
No man is a complete failure until he begins like disliking men who succeed. It's a dangerous step to take. No man is a complete failure until he begins disliking men who succeed. Somebody else wrote, worth begets in base minds envy, in great souls emulation. And Shakespeare uh, put it very, very well when uh, he wrote of of jealousy and envy. Uh, He said, and oft my jealousy shapes uh, faults that are not. We see faults in other people that are not present in other people. And the fault is our own envy. As we see in Joseph's brothers, slander and fault-finding are very often an expression or, uh, of envy and a vehicle uh, of, of envy. Behind Joseph's back in verse 19, they said, look, the dreamer uh, is coming. And as one man observed of another man in this regard, he said, his scorn of the great is repeated too often to be real. Uh, No man thinks uh, much, uh, no man thinks much of that which he truly despises. In other words, the reason this one man was so uh, intent upon tearing down the other person Uh, was not because he disliked him so much, but because uh, he envied him uh, so much. And and he's right. Oftentimes, this kind of thing, the scorn, the slander, the backstabbing is merely an expression of envy. Another helpful quote uh, is, nothing sharpens sight uh, like envy. It can cause us to see and uh, make a mountain out of the smallest thing in another person's life, or even to see uh, a fault that, is, that doesn't exist in another person's life. Envy is always the mark of someone who is profoundly selfish, and it is always the characteristic of a person who is dangerously self-consumed. Over the long haul, envy will always result in a life of isolation. Ultimately, we will drive away all healthy relationships and all healthy influence from our lives uh, under the influence of, of envy until the only people that can stand to be around us are those who are destroying their lives in the same way through envy. Envy also is always short-sighted if it isn't completely blind. Uh, The irony of this account is that ultimately, the entire family, every one of these brothers are going to end up depending upon Joseph's godly character. They're going to end up depending upon God's gifting in his life, God's favor in his life, God's call upon his life in order to survive. Everything that they hated about uh, Joseph, they were one day going to need uh, to be uh, present in such a powerful way in his life and for their own life. And I'll tell you how often I've seen it through the years 
those who are extraordinarily gifted by God or called to be used by God in an extraordinary way. And it provokes envy in other people's lives who then begin to attack them. And ultimately, God begins to work as He does in this situation, as we'll see in the coming weeks. He begins to work in such a way that the very people who attack that person will find themselves uh, desperately in need of the gifts and the talents and the integrity of the person that they one time endeavored to uh, destroy. And we need to be very careful about who we try to destroy under the influence of envy because one day we may find that we are uh, very much in need of their help. Additionally, envy is profoundly dangerous if for no other reason than it absolutely uh, uh, grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit within our lives. And supremely, though, envy is a sin not only against another person, but uh, against God. And it is the expression of our displeasure for, uh, of God's plans for other lives, how God has made us, how God has chosen to use us as opposed to somebody else. And it denies the wisdom and the providence of God at work in our lives, which is the very theme of Joseph's life. And it flows from the pride of thinking that I uh, know uh, and can come up with a better plan for my life than the one that God has. And so how do we deal with jealousy and envy in our lives? Very briefly, number one, with the recognition that it is a sin, and to realize that no matter how much it is, it is expressed or nurtured within the culture, that we want nothing to do with it. And then second, to realize that like any other sin, it will destroy us if we allow it to go unaddressed within our lives. And then third, to always be reading the Word of God, because the Word of God is the, a mirror, and it will always tell us the truth about ourselves when nobody else will. And uh, even in this area uh, of envy concerning uh, our, our lives. And so it will, uh, it, 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 does, it does that, brings it forth and exposes this sin that we can become so uh, crafty in, in uh, hiding within our lives. The fourth thing then is to pray and to just simply ask God to show us uh, anywhere that envy has a foothold within our lives, and, and then to ask God to make us aware of it every single time that it surfaces within our heart or within our, uh, our mind, and God will be faithful to do that. And then fifth, to continually ask God to refill us with the fullness of His Holy Spirit and to be filled with the fruit of His Holy Spirit as a result, which is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. In Galatians chapter 5, we quoted it early in terms of the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit uh, is, is love. You go into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great chapter upon love, and we're told there that love does not envy, that love thinks no evil. It is impossible to envy those 
we truly love. Because who we truly love, we will rejoice in their successes, we will rejoice in their accomplishments. As St. Augustine put it, he that is jealous uh, is not in love. And it is true. And then finally in this regard, to be satisfied with how God has made and gifted us. And to be satisfied with His gifts and His callings within our lives. I remember being in Sonoma, city of Sonoma one time and I walked into a store and they had a plaque up on the wall that was for sale and uh, the plaque read, uh, be yourself, everyone else is taken. And, uh, and it's good advice. And so uh, your fight is not with others, it's with God in terms of envy in that regard. And you're fighting against God's best for you and the need to just surrender to God's plan and His purpose for our lives. And once we surrender to God's plan and purpose for our lives, then we begin to walk in uh, that path for a while. Uh, we will find that His will and His plan and His perfect purpose for our lives is so perfect that it's so satisfying uh, that, that it fits so well that we won't want to trade places with anyone else because of what happens between us and God uh, in, in that place. And finally, I, I, I close very briefly with how were we to deal with it uh, when you uh, or I become a victim uh, of the envy of others, a target of the envy of others. The first thing is to realize, as we'll see in Joseph's life as it unfolds, is that it can make life absolutely miserable on uh, the short term. But God's sovereignty and God's purposes will ultimately prevail, not con only concerning Joseph, but it will pre prevail concerning uh, you. And far from preventing Joseph's dreams, from coming to pass, uh, the envy of the brothers merely advanced it. And what is true of Joseph is true of each of us. The second thing is to realize, as somebody has put it, envy is the tax which all distinction must pay. Envy is the tax that all distinction must pay. And it's true. And if God calls you to be something that is extraordinary, and He does, we're all extraordinary at something, and He calls us to do something extraordinary for Him, then it is going to get you, you noticed, and, uh, and envy will be the price that is paid by anyone uh, that holds any distinction within life not only in the secular realm, but also within the spiritual realm. And then finally, the most important thing of all in order to deal with this when it uh, comes your way is to turn your eyes upon Jesus and realizing that it is in His life and in His death that we're given the greatest evidence in all of human history for how profoundly wicked the sin of envy is, where we are told on the morning of His crucifixion 
that Pilate, in understanding the motivations of the Jewish religious leaders for turning Jesus over to him, uh, knew that they had done so because of envy. Matthew chapter 27, verse 18. You think about that. Envy was the motive behind the crucifixion of Jesus on the part of the Jewish religious leaders. And that is the frightful power and evil of this sin. But then again, remembering how God overwhelmed it, and He used even their envy for His eternal purposes, and to understand that His envy would come our way in life and in our Christian life and service. It is just simply one more vehicle to lead us into a deeper understanding of Jesus Christ and a deeper fellowship with Him. And Paul put it so perfectly in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know Him, speaking of Jesus, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. Let's pray together now. Father, we pray that this time together looking at this subject of envy in the light of your word, that you would use this time to eradicate on any level the existence of this sin within our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this time studying this subject to forever protect us from, uh, from having it gain a foothold within our lives, that you would use this to help us recognize it within our lives and turn to you quickly for its uh, removal. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the perspective when this does come our way in life, that you would use it as an opportunity for us to come to know our Savior in a greater way and to fellowship with Him in an even greater way, knowing that we have faced nothing, even in the realm of envy, that compares with what it is that He faced, and faced so wonderfully and victoriously. And we pray for this work of Your Holy Spirit through Your Word to continue on in our lives now from this time of our Bible study, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.